0: Welcome back to That Rooted Feeling. This is episode 12, Fish and Eggs. This episode is brought to you by the Rooted Food mobile app, the mobile application that helps you to get a variety of plant foods in your diet for gut and overall health. You can download it now in the App Store or on Google Play. Welcome to That Rooted Feeling podcast, where we bring you high-value health information and practical tips to help you improve your lifestyle habits with a focus on plant-centered nutrition. So you can achieve
1: optimal wellness that radiates into and improves all areas of your life, giving you that rooted feeling that you won't know until you have it.
0: Hello, and welcome back. It's another week and another episode. This is episode 12. Today, we're going to focus on fish and egg consumption. Jamie's going to lead the discussion and clear up some of the confusion about whether a plant-based diet is all or nothing, and if we should include fish and eggs as a part of a healthy diet. So let's dive in. Jamie, will you start by giving us a little intro into why there's so much confusion around animal products and give us specifics about fish and eggs in that confusion?
1: Yeah, of course. So I want to start by saying your confusion is completely understandable.
0: Brooke talked about
1: meat last week. And because animal consumption is so deeply ingrained in our culture, really all the food industry has to do to protect its market share is create enough confusion that it's really hard for the average person to know how and why to make these healthy changes to their plate. But what the science does tell us is it doesn't have to be all or nothing, like you said, You can still reap the many health benefits of a plant-based diet with it not being plant-exclusive, but plant-predominant. The literature today are studies that are both this plant-predominant that could still include small amounts of meat, of fish, of eggs and dairy, and plant-exclusive, which is only plant-based foods. The current science doesn't tell us that a plant-only diet is superior to a diet, say, consisting of 85% Mm -hmm. calories from plants. Because separating out these two types of diet to study them thoroughly and conclusively is nearly impossible. Right,
0: right. It's very hard to study nutrition unless you're doing it on a macro cohort population scale. Yes, Human diets
1: are complex and they're very hard to study. And this is one reason why health headlines are often contradictory. And so if you're looking to go plant-based and really reap the benefits of a plant-based diet... This kind of like window of 85 to 100% plant-based can be really reassuring that it doesn't have to be all or nothing. You can still find the level of commitment that works for you and reap these benefits. So while there are foods that we know adding to a diet or deleting from a diet are beneficial to our health, there are some foods like egg and fish that may or may not feature in an optimal diet for human health. And when it comes to these foods like fish and eggs, I think what really is important is the dose and the dose is in the poison, right?
0: Right. And I think that's, we need to consider that for a lot of things, even some things just in the plant world that we shouldn't be eating too much of. But let's start talking about eggs, particularly. What does the science tell us about eggs? Yeah. So eggs
1: really have been in the headlines and have had decades long debates around their effect on cholesterol. And the amount of cholesterol in your diet we know now doesn't exactly correlate to the amount of cholesterol in your blood. So these are two separate things. Our body tightly regulates our cholesterol in our blood by controlling its production. So when our dietary intake of cholesterol goes down, your body's going to make more and vice versa. If you eat greater amounts of cholesterol, your body's then going to make less. There are, however, some people who respond, I think they call them hyper responders, who eat high cholesterol foods, and it does have a significant effect on their blood cholesterol. So what the American Heart Association does tell us the major food components that raise our LDL cholesterol are, are the saturated fatty acids and trans fatty acids, and to a lesser extent cholesterol, because there is that genetic component of these hyper-responders that do have a significant increase when they consume
0: dietary cholesterol. Mm -hmm. There are healthy fats that help to lower cholesterol, right?
1: There are, yeah. So dietary factors that do lower our LDL cholesterol include those polyunsaturated fatty acids or the monounsaturated fatty acids. And that's when they're substituted for the saturated fats, right? And so to a lesser extent, also soluble fiber, and they've even shown soy proteins to lower our cholesterol. Okay, great. It's also worth noting that A lot of these foods that are rich in cholesterol are also rich in saturated fats. Right. And these saturated fats are the ones that are going to increase our risk of cardiovascular disease due to their saturated fat content. And that is where the connection is with saturated fats and cholesterol. There are the exceptions of eggs and shrimp. Considering that eggs are, you know, they're affordable, they're a high source of protein, they have minimal saturated fats, they have 1.6 grams per egg. And they're rich in several other micronutrients, including vitamins and minerals. They do recommend that it could be worthwhile to include eggs in moderation as part of a healthy eating pattern.
0: Okay. And that's fair. I think that we can include a lot of things into our diet. And so where a lot of the confusion comes from is our
1: current 2020 U.S. dietary guidelines recommends that trans fat and dietary cholesterol consumption to be as low as possible without compromising the nutritional adequacy of the diet.
0: Yeah, that's big, huh? Yeah.
1: So how much cholesterol can I consume? They used to say 300 milligrams or less, and now that's this more broad term because we know that dietary cholesterol doesn't immediately impact blood cholesterol in the average person. So the context really is key here. So despite the confusion, the science really is clear that dietary foods high in saturated fat, which are primarily in animal products, are also high in cholesterol, and that negatively affects our blood cholesterol. But the context really is key. So someone who has an increased risk for cardiovascular disease or stroke who loves to eat steak and eggs, they may want to cut back on both of those because those are both sources of saturated fat in your diet.
0: Right. And there also have been studies about, you know, people who are already at risk for cardiovascular disease, say from diabetes. They really should be reducing their egg consumption. Yeah. Yeah. This is really is in
1: line with our latest guidelines there was a 2020 meta-analysis which states that individuals with normal cholesterol can include up to one egg per day or seven per week in a heart-healthy dietary pattern. And that was one that emphasized plant protein over animal protein. So a stronger case can probably be made for complete el- elimination of the dietary cholesterol like in eggs. Eggs have, you know, 186 milligrams of cholesterol, which is one of the highest content of cholesterol in foods. In any food, yeah. yeah. And so there's probably a stronger case of this if you're wanting to stop or slow the progression of an underlying disease from, you know, poor diet, smoking, sedentary lifestyle, et cetera.
0: Right. If my patients are at risk, I definitely wanna know what their egg consumption is. And certainly we talk about moderation, but I, I think people don't really understand moderation all the time. And and so it's, it's a, an important point. It's something definitely to bring up and consider if you're already at risk. Yeah, there's a lot of factors at play here. So I think
1: really taking
0: a look at your overall health, your
1: overall diet, and making a decision with your physician based on all of those factors yes. really is key.
0: Speaking of those factors, can you break down the consumption of eggs specific to these disease processes?
1: Yeah, definitely. So there are several reasons you know, that we may consider eliminating eggs from our diet. And recent studies have linked them, eggs specifically, to heart disease, to diabetes, and even cancer. So let's break down each of those. With heart disease, we have decades of research that indicate that these saturated fats and trans fat foods are linked to increased blood cholesterol and heart disease. But there's also new research on the byproduct of choline, which is an essential nutrient found in eggs. It actually increases our chance for heart attack and stroke. So when we eat eggs, which are high in choline, our gut bacteria break down the choline and they release this toxic compound called TMAO into the bloodstream. And Brooke talked about this last week with meat. But recent studies show that we have an increased risk of developing this atherosclerotic heart disease when we have this accumulation of TMAO.
0: Yeah. And the studies have actually been very clear that, you know, you can get TMAO from choline in plants, but the people who were eating plants actually were protected from the effects of TMAO, which just, it's so insightful when you read studies like this to know that that really limits our, you know, our our science is really limited in our understanding of how all these things work together. And I always go back to, These plants being in their whole forms have this complex arrangement of phytochemicals where, you know, it's kind of a checks and balance system. So if you're eating them in their whole form, you may have one thing, you know, choline is good for neuronal development, but, you know, the TMAO needs to be counteracted by another phytonutrient. Maybe we haven't identified that yet. So that's an aside. But I always think, you know, if you're eating things that are come from nature, they're perfectly orchestrated for your health.
1: Yes, for sure. And with diabetes, high levels of cholesterol and saturated fat strongly link egg consumption and diabetes risk. Eating a diet high in fat, like Brooke had talked about last week, contributes to this insulin resistance as fat really interferes with our insulin's ability to bring that glucose from the blood into the cell. There was a review of 14 studies published in the Journal of Atherosclerosis, and that showed that those who consume the most eggs increased the risk for diabetes by 68%. Wow, that's significant. And the Physician's Health Study 1, this was more than 21,000 participants, and this showed that those who consume seven or more eggs per week had a 25% higher risk of death than those with the lowest egg consumption. And for those with diabetes, the risk was twofold.
0: Oh my goodness. So I really think that in all of the studies I've seen on eggs, diabetes has the highest association of risk. Yes, for sure. So if you're diabetic, then really be considerate and talk to your physician about your egg consumption.
1: Yes. And not only diabetes, let's talk about cancer a little bit. I talked about the production of TMAO from egg consumption and the connection to heart disease. Research also suggests that TMAO promotes cancer growth. And specifically the increased risk for breast, ovary, and prostate cancer. Mm-hmm. There was a study that showed that men who ate two and a half eggs per week had an 81% higher chance of developing prostate cancer. And there was another study that found a 19% increase in GI cancers of those consuming five eggs per week. So, what's the overall consensus here? Should we take these studies with a grain of salt? Is the average person when we're talking about adding eggs to your diet, are they also, you know, enjoying bacon and milk and some of these other products that are contributing to the risk for disease.
0: Yeah, there can be a lot of confounding factors, like we say, in nutrition, very, very hard to study. Yeah. So
1: what's really helpful is knowing that while some of the populations around the world who have great health and longevity do consume eggs, they consume them in modest amounts. And they're usually from you know cage free hens that eat natural foods that aren't given antibiotics and mm-hmm. they're well cared for yes they're not they're not the same eggs that we're consuming on average in our society right
0: no yeah, they come from happy little chickens <laughs> yes.
1: so more research really is needed on egg consumption in western countries but the summary of this is that eggs are one of the food categories that are inconsistently associated with increased and decreased lifespan. And they do appear safe when you consume them in moderation. And that is with a plant-predominant diet.
0: Okay, but if we did want to switch out of eggs, but we have all of these things that we like to eat that contain eggs, give us really quickly a few things that we can substitute for eggs in our diet if we want to go more plant-focused.
1: Yeah, so some of the added benefits of using a plant-based substitute instead of eggs is, like you had mentioned, they also pack this added benefit of fiber, of vitamins, of minerals, of antioxidants, phytochemicals. All of these are going to promote long-term health. And so some substitutions you can use are ground flaxseed. That's a great omega-3 source. You can mix a tablespoon of flaxseed and three tablespoons of water. Let that sit, and it's going to have this gel-like substance and you can use in baking, you can also use chia seeds. Um, some other ones I like to use are applesauce or mashed banana. You can use those like in a sweet dish for a muffin, mm-hmm. used in baking. Uh, arrowroot powder. This is good for thickening in sauces. So a lot of times I'll use that like to coat my tofu with coconut aminos, some arrowroot powder, and some seasoning um tofu is also a great one you can use that as an egg scramble that's one of my favorite things. yeah that's one of my favorite <laughs> I have even made a quiche with tofu and it turned out delicious nobody knew the difference oh great I'm gonna need that recipe yeah um chickpeas you can substitute those for an egg salad and there's another one I've tried I'm not a big fan of it but there's have you ever used black salt never heard it's of it. got that like sulfur eggy it, it has that sulfur eggy flavor and it's a powder. I think I bought oh, it at wait. World Market. And yes, I I'm have not had a fan. It. I didn't like it either. <laughs> I, I'm not going for that eggy sulfur taste. No, me neither. Just m- mainly the texture and the savory part sure, of it. Sure, for sure. So you can swap your eggs for these plant-based foods that I talked about above, not only to reduce your saturated fat, your cholesterol, but to get the benefits of plant-based foods, of these fibers and everything I've talked about, you know, before.
0: Okay, so now we know about eggs. Last week, we talked about meat. There's one little thing that's still sitting on the shelf that we have to talk about, and that's fish. Yes. Tell us what we know about fish. Is it healthy for us? Is it not? Yeah, so what we
1: do know about fish are, you know, these medium-sized fatty fish really are good sources of vitamin D and omega-3s. And omega-3 fats are unsaturated and they're anti-inflammatory. And they're beneficial for heart health, for brain health. However, fish do have saturated fats and cholesterol in them, and they can cause inflammation in the body that increase our risk for heart attack and stroke. Some of the fat in fish is omega-3 form, but the remaining is saturated fat. And for example, Chinook salmon derives 52% of its calories from saturated fats. But is there a benefit to consuming fish over plant sources of omega-3s, such as, you know, nuts and seeds? Brooke and I talked about before we recorded, but omega-3s, they're found in the microalgae in our oceans. So the small fish eat the algae, the big fish eat the small fish. And this is where our DHA and our EPA actually originates, not in fish. The fish eat it from the algae.
0: Right. So I'm more subscribed to eat, don't eat the fish, but eat what the fish eat. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So some studies show protection and others do not of fish over plant sources of omega-3s, but it really depends on what the fish is replacing in your diet. If you swap red meat for salmon, that's going to shift your diet towards a dietary pattern with lower risk of dementia and more health benefits. So the context really is key here. Another thing to worry about in fish is mercury. So mercury is a toxic heavy metal. It's the primary concern related to fish consumption. And a new study from the Biodiversity Research Institute in Maine found that 84% of fish have unsafe levels of mercury. And we know that exposure to mercury has been linked to increased risk for diseases such as cancer, diabetes, as well as these short-term and long-term problems with heart, blood vessels, brain, and nerves. And for pregnant women, this is an even greater concern because mercury can cross the placenta and it accumulates in the baby's tissue, slowing down its brain development. So the link between mercury contamination and diabetes has also been more defined through recent studies. The American Diabetes Association found that those that had the highest levels of mercury exposure actually had a 65% increased risk for developing diabetes compared to those with low levels of mercury exposure.
0: That's really fascinating. I'm gonna to have to look at that study and see what all variables they looked at. But that is significant. Yeah, that's a big increase for, for risk. So then are there other studies? Can you tell us more of the studies, maybe not just directly pertaining to mercury or diabetes, but what are the studies that show is fish good for us?
1: Yeah. So the big one is the Adventist health study two, And they found that people who actually lived the longest were not vegans or meat eaters. They were pesco vegetarians and pesco vegetarians are people who eat a plant-based diet, but they include a small portion of fish within that.
0: Okay. So would you distinguish that from like a pescatarian fish eater where they don't eat a whole lot of fish and they're mostly plant-based or is that the same?
1: I would consider them the same, a pesco-vegetarian and a pescatarian diet. Okay. And in the world's blue zones, which we love to talk about, these are those places in the world where people living the longest and healthiest, free of chronic disease, welcome to their hundreds, they actually are eating a small amount of fish. But they're eating the fish that are these middle of the food chain species like sardines, anchovies, cod not these big fish that are exposed to higher levels of mercury and have a higher fat content.
0: And yeah, each time you move up that food chain, you get a higher concentration of those harmful toxic metals.
1: Yeah, so at the same time, there was a study that looked at the components of a Mediterranean diet, and they looked at what components of it actually improved their lifespan. And fish was rated as not important. And the most important dietary factors of their diet were actually the low meat consumption, the high consumption of vegetables, fruits, nuts, olive oil, and
0: legumes. Okay, so it's kind of up in the air. Is eating fish better than being vegan or is... It really is. I think
1: you really have to take a look at somebody's overall health. What is their current dietary pattern? Are they eating a lot of whole plant foods that are going to contradict some of these additions of fatty fish here and there, and are they eating them in true moderation or are they eating them every day?
0: And I would be interested also to know in this same vein, are they eating the same things the fish are eating, like algae or seaweed, like we talk about, which has a lot of B12 and omega-3 fatty acids that are beneficial that you get from the fish. But if you eat with the fishy, you're getting it too. Exactly. And I always like to
1: go back to Canada's recent guideline change. I know you've talked about this one before. So Canada, they took a hard stance in 2019 and they said they would no longer use research funded by industry or an organization with a business interest in the creation of their national food recommendations. And so this made a lot of headlines and Canada's new guidelines, I think this has A semi-clear definition, but kind of like what we keep going back to. So their recommendation was they recommend eating plenty of vegetables, fruits, whole grain foods, and to choose protein foods that come from plants more often. So they suggest eating nuts, seeds, avocado, and or fatty fish, which are good sources of unsaturated fats. They don't say how much, but it is included in their recommendation, And they also recommend avoiding all of those sources of saturated fat. So these are fatty cuts of red meat, processed meats,
0: full-fat dairy, coconut milk, and these deep-fried foods. So I guess in my mind, and I want to wrap this up in a good takeaway, is fish can be part of a healthy diet. Exactly. But like anything, in moderation. And just like you wouldn't suggest somebody have a whole avocado every single day, in a healthy, well-rounded diet where you're getting plenty of variety of plant foods and you are having everything in moderation, you probably wouldn't also recommend that people eat fish every single day. Yeah,
1: it really is hard to say that fish is good without understanding the context of a person's overall diet and their dietary pattern. What are they eating every day? What is this fish gonna be replacing or displacing in their diet? And so while a modest amount of fish can certainly be featured like in a healthy diet, It seems that what matters most is are they getting the whole food plant foods that are consumed along with it? And that is really going to increase your lifespan. And we've seen this as living proof in the blue zones.
0: Great. So if we want to start incorporating fish, tell us what that looks like. How can we do it the proper way? Yeah. So you really want to favor
1: like the blue zones, these mid chain fish like trout, snapper, grouper, sardines and anchovies. So you're really going to want to avoid those predator fish too, those big fish that have a high level of mercury, high you know, fat content within them. And those are fish like shark, tuna, and swordfish. And then you want to steer clear of the farmed fish. These are typically raised in these overcrowded pens and they have to pump them full of antibiotics, pesticides, and coloring to
0: allow them to be healthy to eat. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of great information jam-packed into this one episode about fish and eggs. Sum it all up for us, if you will. Yeah. So fish has been shown
1: to be healthful and health-promoting when it's consumed in a predominantly whole food plant-based diet. We've seen this with proof in the blue zones, and we would highly recommend that you eat these middle-chain fish that aren't going to have the higher levels of mercury and the fat content, And really remember what matters most is the lack of the good food in your diet is more harmful than these inflammatory causing foods. And so make fiber the primary focus of your diet. Make sure you're getting those 30 plant points per week, or if you're just starting out working up towards that. And The incorporation of a small piece of fish here and there is not going to make as much of a difference if it's consumed with this whole food plant-based diet and not this diet consumed of mainly like the SAD diet. You know, all these saturated fats, all these processed foods, it's going to have less of an effect if you're feeding your gut these health-promoting foods.
0: Absolutely, Well, we want to thank you all for joining us this week for this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please subscribe, leave us a five-star review, and share it with a friend. And next week, we're going to talk about dairy in your diet and whether or not to reconsider it as a main part of your overall dietary pattern. Yes, join us next week, and thanks for listening.